Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Adina Takalik Duffy. I am the owner and designer of a brand called Ugly Fish from Coral Harbor, Nunavut. Cool. So, uh, what is the brand Ugly Fish? And and or um, yeah, okay. There's so many questions, but I'll just leave it at that one. For sure. <laughs> It's a, well, clothing and jewelry brand, I guess, or just a company. So I make jewelry from uh, bones, teeth, claws, uh, whatever I can find. And then I just design clothes as well. That's sort of the basis of Ugly Fish. Okay, so uh, where does the name come from? Um, Well, um, I'm asked this question often. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is uh, in Inukitut Kanayuk is a fish up north, it's like a sculpin. Uh, as children, we called them ugly fish because they're quite ugly. <laughs> uh, there's lots of skin, you know, really big mouths and eyes. But my grandmother's name was, one of her names was Kanayuk because in Inuk culture, you know, you have more than one name, but it wasn't actually the name she was given at birth. And so there's a story behind me and her talking about how she came about to have this name. And so after she had passed and I started making jewelry, I thought, you know, that would be kind of a nice homage to my grandmother and so I named it Ugly Fish. How did you get into jewelry design and clothing design? Um, Well it would have been like 2009 and I was kind of drifting around um, in Rankin Inlet. uh, So spending a lot of time with my sister, she's an artist so we would draw together uh, she sort of gave me little painting tips and then she had mentioned something about having a Dremel just lying around and not being used and I've been noticing antlers everywhere. And so I just sort of decided that this is what I wanted to do or just try it out. It's not like I had this big idea of starting a jewelry company. I just thought uh, that, you know what, it's better to use what we have than just to let it sit there and collect dust. So I just turned it on and grabbed some antler and started carving. Cool. Just like with no prior uh, <laughs> just no, straight out, like or like oh, like bits would, would go flying. I was not wearing safe, like safety levels of safety were at all time low. Like my sister, <laughs> so I learned pretty fairly quickly how to like secure the bit uh, properly after I probably nearly killed people, and then like my put my hair in a ponytail after I got caught up in the in the Dremel. But I'm quick oh, on the kill switch, so. I know. It doesn't, it, I don't know. This is just totally me. I usually just jump in and just no, no fear. And my sister thought like that. That's probably part of the reason why it hadn't been used because she didn't know how to use it. And <laughs> I was like, let's just turn it on. Let's do it. Let's, let's do this. Um, uh, and like, and the heart of that, I think I didn't really realize it at that time, but it came from this idea of not wasting, you know, and I would think, you know, if our ancestors, what they made or how they brought us here was like bones and stone and teeth and fur, you know, they and created incredible uh, clothing and homes for themselves. And I would just sit here thinking, you know, we have heated houses and we have so much more available to us. And, and that's sort of what inspired me to really just start using what I had available, which at that time was like a Dremel and antler. And what was the, what would be the first thing you would point to as that you made? Uh, it would have been a, like a, a cross section of an antler. So like it's a little pendant and then I beaded it. So it would have been like, so I started doing that. That would have been my first pieces. And then um, antler studs, 
like this little studded circular antler studs. Uh, it's a very simple stuff, but I loved it. Like I would sit there and carve and uh, cut pieces for hours, and I didn't really realize how much time I had been out in the porch. <laughs> and and it was an anxiety. Uh, it was like anxiety killer, or I wasn't no, not killer, but like it would just totally calm your nerves. You know, working with your hands. Yeah. Quiet the mind. So I've done a. I did a little uh, speech on that one day too, just because it's been a process and a journey. So yeah, that would have been the first piece I made though. It was just like beaded antler necklaces and earrings. Did you set out to do that, or did it just kind of come about no. in, in the in the process of figuring out the to do it? Uh, the dribble. Well, the idea the idea was to make a necklace. So I was like, let me turn this on. Let's cut a piece of antler. I'm going to carve it. Then I'm going to drill hole in it. We're going to make a necklace. And my sister was like, awesome. <laughs> and then, uh, like, yeah, there was no intention to sell or anything. You know what I mean? I just uh, started making that. And she really wanted it. So I'd given her, I believe, the first piece I made. And then another friend of mine I was living with later on, uh, she had a porch, an amazing porch full of tools, power tools. And I was like, yes. And so I made her some pieces. And then from there, I started posting. Again, not with the intention to sell, but the the demand was growing or people would just say, I want to buy this, you know, okay, this is for sale. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so then how long before, uh, like when you first picked up, how long before it went kind of from learning to the business okay. or like, where did, uh, um, like when did ugly fish start? A, um, okay. So that would have been 2009. Ugly fish probably didn't start till like really with, uh, intention of having a business till 2014, but during that time I was always making and selling. Uh, and I think when I really first started taking it seriously, as I had been invited by my mom to share her table at a trade show, where mm. they featured a lot of northern artists, and I was like, okay, let's do this. You know, and I'd already um, named the company just because I started a little ugly fish page. I don't know, that probably would have been like 2011 or 2010. But a very small, very small following, you know, mostly friends and family. And then uh, my mom invited me to do the trade show. And um, I met some jewelers from the north that I was, like, I admire greatly. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my God, very visibly nervous when they visited my table because <laughs> they are so good. <laughs> I was like, don't look at myself too closely. Like, it's very unpolished. This is very unfinished. But um, they were always very encouraging. And that experience was incredibly, I think that really uh, is what's, uh, set the fire because then you get a lot more followers, you get support, uh, you get a little bit of press, you know, <laughs> and then that would have been 2014. So that's, I would say that would be the time that ugly fish really became ugly fish. And then it grew from there. <laughs> yes. Always growing from the beginning, you know, it's like this sort of very gradual growth. And like, I don't, I didn't know what I was creating. It wasn't very intentional, but it was sort of like a natural growth. So I don't know if that's being helpful. It was sort of uh, with Ugly Fish. Like I didn't realize I was building a brand because I would always photograph and post the things I was making or the things I was doing. Oh, and a very key point in what sort of set Ugly Fish apart is when I started working with Beluga Bones, which was sort of, you know, like that was something that no one else was doing. Really, I mean, carvers had always carved with uh, the spine of the beluga, the vertebrae. But I started working with the introvertible disc the little circular studs that are turned into earrings. Okay. And that that was another huge thing for Ugly Fish because 
I mean, I never expected the. I mean, I had a feeling because I was like, I had to do. I always have this feeling. I have to do this before someone else does. You know, when you get that feeling. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's great. It's more like you're racing against yourself, but also the idea of like perhaps being beaten to it when you just get an idea. So, I was just walking along the beach in coral, like Snafu Beach, and like these perfect little discs had sort of washed up right around where I was walking. And they're naturally cleaned by uh, just the elements, and they're just beautiful. And I was like, you know, these make me beautiful studs. And then the hunt was on for those bones from <laughs> then on. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get most of yeah. your material through um, through th- like through bones that wash up on the beach, or is it gifted from hunters, or what? What's the um, primary method with, that you obtain? Okay. So primary method is I go to the beaches or like people tell me where there's carcasses, you know, I've been given pointers like, you know, this area turned on this road around this lake. Cause uh, um, a lot of times now people will sink the carcasses because they don't want to attract polar bears, but many times they'll be like butchered right on the beach and then left there, you know? So most of everything is gone except for like the skull and then the spinal, you know, yeah. like the whole spine with like some, I mean, there's definitely some, a lot of decomposing material. Uh, and so, uh, in the beginning, I would just look at the older carcasses that had been there for years and years and years. And so a lot of times you'll just see the discs, uh, two discs that are still attached with a lot of sinew and just really, and so I would just collect those two by two. Um, but as I progressed, I became less squeamish and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I would just take a half of a spine, like try to chop it off with whatever I had, you know, get gloves and just to start taking as much as I could because I think that became part of, uh, for me, the part that felt the best because you're doing it yourself. You're going out there, you're taking it. It's quite, a, it's quite, um, I don't want to say religious feeling, but there's a f- feeling of a presence because you're going to sort of like, uh, a graveyard of bones, you know? And so, and they look quite prehistoric. There's like these big, uh, beak like skulls. And then you're sort of worried that a bear might come and, attack you <laughs> like it's, it's, it's i don't know so yeah so yeah the primary method is me collecting but um people have also gifted me bones i've never purchased bones like the beluga bones i've bought things like uh, muskox horns because we don't have muskox and coral right uh so i've been wanting to use for a desire to use the material i purchase uh, muskox but i very rarely will ever buy any bones i mean if someone solicits me at my door with like tests or something then maybe you know but for the most part, I prefer to go get it myself. And hunters will also give me, you know, I've been gifted boxes. Like I've been given so much. <laughs> How would you purchase bone? Um, <laughs> I, I don't mean that. In, I don't mean that. In a, yeah, okay. Just coming around. Yeah. They just know that, oh, Adina makes jewelry. Like, oh, she's a bone buyer. So then, you know, they just get like, okay, I know she's probably going to want to get this. And that's the best deals. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> They're coming to your door. You can set the price <laughs> kind of, you know what I mean? So right. it's like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, you have a child sleeping and it's like, all right. Uh, but many times that has uh, happened. Many times uh, people are just like, you know, I have this, come get it. Like ptarmigan feed and make jewelry out of, they just get the ptarmigan. I've already expressed interest. Can I put it out there that don't throw away the feet or the uh, the claws of seals, you know, whiskers of the walrus, whatever is not really being used. Right. So people are more than more than happy to give those to me at at no cost, you know. But then of course there's people who are in need too, and so they would come and 
I'm happy to purchase as well. So right. it's super fun. I was like, I'd like the whole hunt for um, what's available. Also, there's a lot of waste in Nunavut, a lot of waste in the world. So I would just find them in along the road. Perhaps a dog had sort of taken a piece and abandoned it, you know. I've taken caribou, entire caribou heads with like velvet antlers out of uh, dumpsters, and then I'll clean them in the ocean. So wherever I can find it, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be, it'd be perhaps fair to call you a bone hunter then. Or an antler Definitely, hunter. Definitely, 100%. Or a material hunter. <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm about standpoint bone hunting, you know. I'm out. <laughs> it's a, is there, has there been any specific uh, find that you uh, were like, wow, what, um, or, is it, or is it all kind of uh, quite the uh, amazing? It's always. Not, amazing, not the right word. It's always amazing. Uh, well, okay. yeah, what would be the word? It's always, uh, it's always interesting. It's always a little nerve-wracking, like I said, because you are on the land. There are polar bears, especially the place where I go for beluga bones in particular. Uh, it's kind of a rocky, right by the shore. There's carcasses around, so usually I go with a dog. Um, sometimes someone with a gun. Uh, but I think the most the the thing that I thought was one of the most interesting is when I had first found beluga teeth, because often I think because of the way the weather would wash them, I never had seen them before and they're quite large and they're like fangs, you know, and I was like, what? I had never even considered their teeth, you know, and so I just ripped, I just pulled them all out of the jaw and I put them in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but, you know, I don't know why I had thought, like maybe they have molars. I mean, obviously they eat fish, so right. their, their teeth are quite beautiful and can be really large, you know, and they're really small sometimes. And then you start learning a little bit about whale anatomy and and it gives you an appreciation for your ancestors because you wonder, like, you know, what would they have done if they had this in their hands? So it's always a process, and it's very, uh, not cerebral, but you definitely get thinking, you know. Like, I just made a post about this uh, beluga whale ear bone. When the first time I had found it, I thought it was quite beautiful because it looks a little bit like a heart almost. And you just, you just you never really consider what a beluga ear bone would look like, you know, till you're... till you just, have it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> till you're out there just looking for anything you can find on, along the beaches. Do you have a favorite material to work with, or again, is it just mm. kind of what you uh, okay. what you find and work with it at that time, <laughs> and that's your favorite? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the answer already. Like, it's definitely part of the inspiration because if you just make the same thing all the time, it's uh, not demotivating. You know what I mean? But like bones, I always like working with because like the beluga disc because it's always a process of cleaning and soaking and then I mean I put so much time into it and then the end process when you see that oh it's, it's beautifully cleaned uh, and perfectly matched it's a pair and someone wants it like it's sold before I've even like finished them right it's <laughs> <laughs> always a good feeling but one of my favorites along the process of making was uh, baleen from the bowhead whale um because I started getting this idea, I forget when, but I was like, everyone just would make cross sections, but I wanted to make triangles. I had this obsession with triangles and geometric shapes. And so I thought, you know, I want to make some, I want to, and you could cut it in any shape you want. It's a little bit like fiberglass. It's like, because it's keratin, like hard pressed together. Uh, if you polish it well, it, it really shines. It could be very black. It could be gray. Like you just never know how it's going to finish. So almost like polishing wood or, I don't know, stone, I guess. It's just a very beautiful material. It's really stinky. It smells like, 
a burning wet sea dog when you're uh, carving it. Oh boy. But I really do. Yeah, I like working with it. It's a fun, it's a really fun material. So that's one you probably uh, work with outside then. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I worked with it one time in the porch thinking this is going to be, because that's what I do with the antler. Um, but it got through the ventilation system and like it just, our house just reeked. It just smelled like <laughs> ba- baleen for like a long time. <laughs> pungent. And carvers had warned me, but like, oh, have you worked with baleen yet? And I was like, no, no, you know, and they're like, oh, you'll see. I think that's all they said. You'll see. <laughs> like, oh, it's quick. Because if you think antler is stinky, you know, like I don't even think antler smells that bad anymore when I work with it. It's just I'm used to it all. Right. Yeah. Is there a, in terms of cleaning uh, the material, is there a particular method that you use? Is there, is there a way to, or that you have to, to make it, preserve it in um, a sense so it doesn't degrade? Or is the bone yes. just the material yes. that, that it won't degrade after it's cleaned? Yes, because the first time when I first started, I did use bleach because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, bleach will compromise the bone because it's porous, and right. then it'll like crumble. Yeah, it just gets crumbly. Um, so I just use like a cold water maceration, just to leave it in cold water uh, for a long time. Uh, or if you want to speed up the process, you could just I would do little hot plates outside my house all the time, mm. and just have them. And you never and never boil them. You know, just get that. Just try to get all the flesh off. Deflesh them. Soap, I'll use soap to degrease. And all the stuff I've learned from people online, like, you know, like Googling how to clean bones or Instagram, people that I follow on Instagram. Right now, I don't ask as many questions just because I've been doing it for so long. Right. Um, but there's always there's always stuff to learn. And I'm not, sometimes I don't quite, like it took me three years one time to like clean the green out of uh, a certain pair of bone. I mean, a, a certain uh, pair of caribou vertebrae. Mm. Uh, but I finally did. They're perfectly white now, you know, so I, it was a success. It took a long time, though, because there's a certain uh, detergent you could get, uh, but it's only available in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, no, no. So I just sort of did, like, this cold water soak. And sometimes I just go for it, but changing out water for you frequently. And I did eventually get them clean. What What is the green in the – sorry, you mentioned that. That would be like uh, if it's near moss. So I'm thinking it's like a fungus or like a, you know what I mean? Yeah. uh, If it's by water, you get like green. Um, Another thing is like seaweed staining because sometimes I find um, bones in seaweed and that's Mm. fairly hard to get out. It's like a very orangey color. So sometimes I'm not, I haven't been as successful as getting seaweed out. The green I thought was impossible, but now I've conquered the green. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so now it's the seaweed, but it, always, it almost is kind of beautiful because, like, there's this one woman who had purchased a pair of my earrings, and she was had like pink, pinkish hair. There's like pinky hues in the bone, right. and it looked quite nice. So I was like, you know what? Uh, and then there's the story because I know where all the bones have come from, and then I just called them like seaweed sunset bones. Uh. And then at those bones, I had this weird instinct just to lift up a piece of seaweed, which is another weird thing because I had never done that. And lo and behold, there was like a partial spine tangled up in the seaweed <laughs> but i just had this weird psychic instinct that there was bones there or there were bones there <laughs> <laughs> is there a is there a particular bone that um, is easier to work with to to carve mm. or does it depend again on what you're actually trying to make from it i guess so uh i guess it just all depends uh because the Beluga spine takes a lot of work cleaning. Antlers are fairly easy just because usually they're 
quite clean, you know, if there's no velvet on them. And there's lots of antler around, you know, it's so available. And then people will hoard it. and that. Like I have quite a bit. People just give me some, so many antler, so much <laughs> antler. Uh, so I'd say nothing's particularly easy just because, I don't know, everything involves something. Like with antler, I have to um, get the bandsaw out and slice. Right. And then drill with the bones. It's more of a cleaning and then sanding and then uh, gluing, you know. So every, everything's a little different. Baling is the most time-consuming. So, like, that'll be, like, my highest cost earrings. Just because you look at it, you know, it looks simple, but it's such a pain in the butt to uh, polish. Right. Uh, and it takes a long time. You cannot rush baling, which I learned before, like, the trade show one time. I was trying to, like, pump out <laughs> a bunch of pieces. And I was like, this is not happening. You know? <laughs> so. so that they all have their kind of individual challenges. Yeah. but I guess teeth. I would say teeth would be the easiest because you just, like, for the most part, teeth are usually clean, the easiest to clean, and then you can just drill them, you sand them, and then there you have a beautiful necklace, just a tooth on silver. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a nice statement statement piece. So you, you mentioned at the start that you're you're from Coral Harbor. Did you grow up there? Um, or like, yeah. Yep. Sorry, I said that pretty quick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Coral, so that's where my family is still from uh i still have a home there like uh, my actual house is there uh, and i'm back and forth between coral harbor and saskatoon mm. so and when you were growing up did you um uh, did you go out on the land a lot like or, and were like were you uh, or were you yeah. always looking for bone i guess from an early age um i would say not i don't know like i've always like a little bit of an explorer you know and like I said, that was something I, I got into as I was older. Uh, but I grew up around uh, our family. would go camping almost all summer long. Oh, yeah. Uh, get winter trips for fishing, uh, spring trips, fishing. Uh, I loved uh, the actually funny thing where I go collect the bones is closer to the community. And growing up, I always liked being closer to the town. I don't know if I just like the fact that you're not so far out. Mm. I like I like going on boating trips with my grandpa. Uh, so I was always, always, always around uh, hunting, camping, um, like butchering of animals, the processing of furs, because my grandma and grandpa, my grandma would be always like working on furs or geese or seal. My aunties uh, in school, we had this building called the Récilérupic, which is where we would do culture ed. So it was a building across the street from the school that was very dank and dark. And these elderly women would be in there uh, skinning seals, smoking cigarettes, and listening to the radio. So it was disgusting. Like, it smelled so <laughs> gross. I hated I hated it. But, like, looking back, those were the magic days, you know? Right. Yeah. Like we chased lemmings. Like, so. Uh, uh, so the squeamishness was never there. Like, I was always used to it. Like, and uh, so when I came across the bones, it, it was just natural. Cool. Have you Have you hunted? Uh, no, I'm not a hunter. Uh, this is the very first year that I possibly felt like, you know what, I might be able to do it because uh, I grew up identity confused, sort of like as a vegetarian for many years. I was reject I rejected my culture for a while, you know, just a typical teenager. I hated Coral Harbor. I hated Nunavut. I wanted to get out. So I was gone for like a long time. I would have been... I don't even know how long. Away from my home community for almost 17 years, I think. Uh, away from the north. I lived in the States for almost 10 years. Um, 
and the irony, I, I, don't, I don't understand the word irony. I'm just going to say it to sound smart. But, like, uh, when I went to the States, I realized, like, I became, like, this reluctant ambassador of Nunavut and, like, my culture because you just would be greeted with a lot of ignorance. And I found myself, like, accidentally not defending my culture but just saying, realizing how much of it I did respect and, you know, did appreciate and then I started missing it and then you know what I realized how disconnected people in the south are from the things that they eat you know and how I grew up very connected and how um there was nothing wrong with that and so like I think I was a softy I just didn't want to say anything I don't want to kill anything except for fish I don't mind killing a fish <laughs> uh you know <laughs> happily but now I think like I think it would be uh the most connected you could be to the eating process. Like perhaps I could possibly now uh, shoot a caribou if I would be butchering it. You know what I mean? Right. And then I would try to use everything I possibly could, just like we say we do, but we don't always use everything. Right. So right. That's my long answer. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> I don't maybe. hunt, but I, I think I could do it now. I think it would be a respect. I could respectfully do it now, I think, and understand what I was doing. When right. I was young, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really understand. I just felt sorry for the animals. Would caribou be the, uh, the creature that you would be most <laughs> readily capable <laughs> of so. uh, shooting? Most, most, most readily capable, possibly also, uh, seems to be like the most like cattle to us. And then perhaps, Maybe uh, from a spiritual perspective, perhaps it's the animal that's saying it's okay to shoot me, Adina. You are ready. <laughs> so, you know, next would possibly be a seal, but they're so difficult. Like, this is a very difficult thing for me because, like, um, in Inuit culture, in the uh, the ancient ways, like, there's, there's, like, they treated animals like they had a spirit too, you know? So I feel like I just, I always try to be mindful of that. So I don't know if I could, but. I don't, uh, I don't know. Caribou. <laughs> Caribou. Caribou. <Yeah. laughs> Caribou. Maybe a goose, maybe some fish. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> have yeah, you... Obviously fish, yes, to yeah. fish, easy. So have, have you been fishing then, or is it, again, just the... Oh, yeah. I love fishing. Uh, I love rod fishing, especially. Uh, so in coral, there's roads all over the island because my uncle has a uh, development company. Hmm. And they're just, they're, you could cross, so you could drive almost to the top of the island. Uh, so, and the fishing is great, like phenomenal Arctic char and trout. Bring this different seasons, different kind of fishing. Right. You know? Do you, do you have a what would be classed a fishing story? Not really. No. <laughs> Just that my favorite, my favorite would be like springtime when the ice is kind of melting, and then you could go sort of walk on this ice, and you could see the you could see the fish. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, and so many of them, and then like uh, I'm, and everyone's catching lot, like tons of fish, and so I don't, I don't have a great fishing story. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not <laughs> fishing stories aren't necessarily great. They're they're always just embellished, right? <laughs> just like the size. Oh yeah, just the size of the fish. Yeah. One time, the only weird thing, the only weird fishing story is like one, and like <laughs> I don't know if I should tell the story, but I had <laughs> caught a, an ugly fish, a sculpin. And then I don't know why this insect. I just pressed down on its stomach because it just looked weird. And then this eel, this it was alive, came out of its mouth, totally like, not even decomposed. It was alive. It wasn't didn't look like it had been bitten. He just swallowed it whole. Oh wow! And it came out of its mouth. Yeah, so that was weird. <laughs> but again, like I had never pressed on a fish's stomach before or prior. But I, I just had this weird feeling. You know what? Like what is? I don't know. Just a strange thing. 
Maybe I should make an art piece out of that, the eel that came out of the fish's mouth. I don't know. It was strange. That'd that's be... my only fishing story. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a good one, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, what? That was so bizarre. <laughs> How big are ugly fish? Uh, they could be small to fairly medium-sized fish. I don't think they get very, very big, but there's, they could be very tiny. I would catch them in little jars as a kid. Right. Like on the beach, you could catch them in a jar. Uh <laughs> And then some people eat them, some people don't, because, like I said, there's a lot of skin, not a lot of meat, and a lot of bone. Have you seen what they look like? Uh, I mean, I know what um, I know what sculpin kind of look like, but I know there's yeah. I know there's multiple difference. Yeah. I'm, so I don't know exactly if they all kind of oh, look the same. Uh, Maybe I suspect I they do. Those. If they're all called sculpin, they probably have some. Yeah, they're all ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I should admit, the real only reason that I know what they look like is because there's a beer from California that's called a Sculpin. So, and they have it on. Oh, their, is it? Oh, cool. They have it on the label. Ooh, so. I gotta try some. I'm not a beer drinker, but I would drink that. It's a it's an IPA, so it's a quite a I find oh, it quite flavorful. Are, so. <laughs> you, oh, are you, are you sound so hipsterish. Hipsterish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got an Irish accent popped yeah. out there for a minute. All right. Well, I'm so, guilty. Yeah. I'm guilty of that, so I, I don't take that too personally. Uh. <laughs> yep. Well, I don't know. Anyway, anyone could be accused of being a hipster. I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody, though. You have to have a certain level of, I don't know. Get a drop IPAs every once in a while. Yeah. With some cool shoes and a scarf. Yeah. Oh yeah. dear. Trendy glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's stop before we uh, rule. Yeah. I'm totally. Yeah. Okay. Let's just stop. Um, yeah. We're totally off fortu- <laughs> for- fortunately, this is an audio thing, not a video thing. Or people are like, oh yeah, no, he's not a hipster. Um, and I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you are. Yeah. <laughs> you have Wait. a podcast. Yeah. Like, Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. What, 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 what other boxes can I check on this? I know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> cool. I don't know where we're at. Here. Yeah. That of, was fun. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we just switched. Uh, switched it on. I know. Now sorry, the hipster, sorry. No <laughs> asking you questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that seems. That only seems fair. How many? Do you know how many people listen to your show? Yeah. <laughs> do you have an idea? Do they? I just curious. I'm kind of curious. It's not a lot. I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah. I don't really pay attention too much to the the analytics of it is, just because I don't. Oh, is there a way to do that? Like you, they probably tell you everything, like person's logged on listening or someone's joined you kind of a thing. Yeah. Because, just curious. This doesn't yeah, have yeah. to be part of the interview. Oh, no worries. Because, um, yeah. I mean, it's posted, like it has the, I have a podcast hosting site, which then yeah. is connected to iTunes and connected to Google Play. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I can, so I can see if I really want to go into that, I can, yeah, I can like some of them, like iTunes has it straight up, but it doesn't tell me how many, it just tells me more the popularity of each episode. Oh, cool. And, uh, I think most of it, it, it's, it seems pretty much episode by episode is its own kind of thing because it really depends on the person. So if the person has more, more of a, a, like a following or people are already, searching like yeah. you say if i were to put ugly fish in the title this this episode would probably get more hits i wonder i wonder i've been so bad lately with like the business side and like being online but i mean maybe i'm not i just don't know i don't like to pay too much attention either because i think there's a sort of it's like going down the rabbit hole 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that would be, I mean, I, my, my idea was starting. It wasn't, was my idea was starting was to try to add something different to the podcast world, particularly about uh, issues of hunting and fishing and living on and Mm -hmm. off the land. Um, but, but I mean, I also don't have a, I mean, at this point it's still, it's, it's also kind of developmental too, to see where it goes and to try to build it. And if I have any, like, if there is, um, if there is a possibility for it to grow bigger, but also to it, it's one of those things because of a lot of it, it's based off, it is based off like personal relationships. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, I have that weird, it's not, I, I don't, I shouldn't say I have that weird. I have a, um, I'm cautious because I don't want it to make it for the people that I interview, particularly people that I know or have mm-hmm. met more so than just, cause sometimes I'll just cold call or like cold contact people. Mainly, oh. <laughs> mainly, mainly yeah. academics, because academics are yeah. used to that, and that's kind of part of their job. Um, yeah. But with people who I have, you know, no. <laughs> who I've met out, elsewhere, I kind of have to. I'm a, I'm a little hesitant to necessarily, um, the word would like <laughs> profit from it, because I mean, yeah. um, so that's kind of the other reason that I don't necessarily pay attention to how many people listen. Yeah. Because it's kind of like it's just oh, okay. it's just there, which I yeah, it's which there, I like, it's out there, which is cool. Yeah, and I mean, part of it was too is because I'm a lot of most of this stuff is, or at least when I started was absolutely new to me. So it was it was a way to learn, but also have a, yeah, but also a way that I for me to learn, but it isn't simply just yeah me learning well i don't know it's an it's a pretty important subject because i feel like particularly in the model i was talking about the disconnection between um knowing where your food comes from you know and then people often vilify people who hunt seals or hunters in general but uh factory farming being the worst uh end of the spectrum of the mistreating of animals you know and i just feel like i was confused about that as a teenager you know, so it's important to get this stuff out there, I think. Right, right. It's a good, it's important perspective. If you, Especially if Armageddon happens, a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> like you got to know how to hunt. Like, I just feel like I think about these things. It's important. <laughs> uh, if you don't mind me prying, what uh, do you think it was? Um, it was just the the teenager thing that kind of made you, oh. like with the food, like with the vegetarian, or was it a, like... Because sometimes it is it simply like a, just a taste thing as well, or? No, it was just like, I just wanted to be really skinny, and I had read that if you don't eat meat, you could, like, uh, I don't know, it was like some trend diet or something I'd read in some magazine. And then it was also, like, uh, maybe trying to carve out my own identity away from my culture and then make a stand. Like, it was definitely uh, teenage uh, mot- motivated, but I kept with it for, like, seven years. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, but, uh, I don't know. I probably wasn't supplementing right. I became, I was bruising quite easily. And then the first meat that I had eaten again was actually a piece of bowhead whale. Cause, um, oh, wow. short history is like, Inuit were not allowed to hunt them because they were overhunted by the Europeans that had come over. Uh, and so there's like a ban on bowhead whale hunting for 50 years, I believe. I don't really know the exact time, but, 
Uh, my grandpa and my uncles, uh, they had gone on the first hunt in like many, many years, and there was a successful hunt. And then I had just they had come back home for a visit. And of course, my grandpa, who I dearly love, who always offers me the best of whatever he's eating, had offered me a piece of the the bowhead, like the blubber. And I couldn't say no. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I'm not going to be like, oh, sorry, Grandpa. Yeah. Like, I'm vegetarian. <laughs> but, yeah. So I ate it, and it was it was like a moment. It was a moment for me, you know. So that was the moment where it's like, all right, I got to uh, let go of these shenanigans. Bit. So uh, I still have hesitancy to eat, like, um, like pork or beef or whatever. But, like, if okay. I'm home, I'm all about the caribou, all about the fish, all about the geese. Uh, but... Do you, I don't know. Do you have a favorite? Uh, frozen caribou, my number one. Yeah. I love it. Oh, it's so good. Eat it frozen, eat it frozen with a little, you slice it with ulu, um, just a little salt. Sometimes I like to dip it in like this uh, misilak, which is like a fermented oil. Mm. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's to me like this, it's like they, people talk about soul food. That's the food that makes you feel good. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could go for caribou anytime. <laughs> I know, right? It's just the best. It's the best. Fish char char is so good too. I love char. Any kind of Inuk food, like I will eat seal, I will eat fish, I'll eat uh, a fermented walrus. I don't know. It's called igunak. It's very pungent. I have not been offered it in many years, so I don't know. I'm like probably would. Oh, my favorite is actually called, uh, it's like a caribou roll. So it's like frozen caribou and like the butt fat tudnuk. And then it's wrapped in like stomach lining. So it's got this really like earthy, mossy stomach. I don't know, it's just, and it's all wrapped in this big ball. And then when you slice into it frozen, you'll have like, I have to send you a picture. It's just, it's really good food. To yeah. me, it's like power food, you know? Yeah. Super, super soul food. That does sound good. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, so if you feel like it's like because caribou is not gamey, but like the the stomach lining uh, is like I don't even know how to describe the the texture, but I would say it's like very earthy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's just got a yummy sort of pungenty. It's just a good mix of flavors. Super good. Do you uh, do you try to bring food back to I, Saskatoon? I do. When you do? <laughs> <laughs> I was, it's hard because I had like a dried meat. I had a bunch of meat crew. And so I was on the plane and I was just like stress eating it, I think. I don't know what I was doing, but I was like, because I was like, you have to ration this. But then that that mindset was like, but it's so good. And I just couldn't stop eating the miku. And I'm like, okay, you like, you're going to be in Saskatoon for a while. (laughs) But I often carry like coolers. So the last time I had like a cooler, what did I have? Seal liver. I had a little bit of ribs. I had frozen caribou, some berries, uh, some land tea. It's like this tea, Labrador tea, maybe it might be called the land tea, we call it. So it's had a bunch of just random stuff. Well, I'll I'll say thank you very much. That was a wonderful discussion. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Well, thanks for calling and having the conversation with me.